We live in a world of possibilities, and, and we've been there for some time, but it hasn't always been that way. I think humanity over the years has progressed. There was a time that at one point in our history, we accepted that there were things that we just couldn't do or there were limitations in our life. We would make statements like, oh, if it hasn't been done or we're not doing it, it just must be impossible. But today, we don't accept that as a normal thing. We don't accept those Boundaries. We've grown into a people who push the limits. We don't take no for an answer. Today, when a young college student has a, an idea and they take the idea forward, the professor or whoever they're taking the idea to doesn't just shoot them down immediately. They hear them out. They hear the idea because we've seen so many advances over the last 35 years. We, I mean, we had a kid who created a thing called Facebook. I mean, at the time, we didn't even think it was relevant or needed, and now so many of the world communicates and uses it, and, and in some ways is addicted to it, but we use it day in and day out, and it's just a constant part of our life. Things that were once impossible are now very possible. Absolutes and the use of absolutes are frowned upon. When a young student athlete is going up in their sport and their training and they're progressing, it would be mean to just look at them and say, hey, yeah, you'll never be a professional. In the office place, when someone has an idea, it's no longer acceptable to just shoot their idea down. You, you want to kind of brainstorm and talk about what's going on because you never know what could happen. The limitations in our society seem to be lifted. There are new ideas every single day. Nothing is impossible anymore. We have shows like Restaurant Impossible and movies like Mission Impossible. You can even get a burger that is, in, that is called the Impossible Whopper. Obviously, this word impossible doesn't exactly mean impossible in those instances. What it really just means is that it's difficult. It's not easy. So, for you and I today, what does impossible mean? If you were to Google COVID-19 or coronavirus and the word impossible, what you would find is pages after page after page of stories with news reporters and all these other things saying that we are in the impossible situation. We're in an impossible situation with COVID-19. So what can we do with an impossible situation. In 1895, Sir William Thompson, otherwise known as Lord Kelvin, came out and made a statement about heavier-than-air flying machines. He said that heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible. Well, to Lord Kelvin's point, eight years later, two brothers from Ohio would craft a heavier-than-air machine. Now we know that as the airplane. In impossible situation, the Wright brothers decided to push forward in hope. With everything around them saying, this will never happen, it'll never work, the, the Wright brothers said, no, 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 we will do this. And they had the hope that it would come to fruition. But what is hope? Well, I mean, really, what, what does hope mean to us? My son looks at me several times a week and says, Dad, I really hope that we get dessert this tonight. I really hope we get to eat dessert. There are students across the world who hope to get a good grade on a test 
that they never studied for. You sometimes hope for a raise because you've worked so hard at a job. So what exactly is hope? Is hope something that might happen because we really want it to? We really, we really desire for this thing to come to reality? That's not biblical hope. That's, that's not what we know as hope here in the church. That might be some people's use of hope, but that's not our definition of hope. And what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks is when life gives you lemons, what do you do with it? We're in a situation, the impossible situation. We're in a, we're in a situation that some might call impossible, might call difficult, and yet we need hope. And so we're going to be walking through First Peter and really just the first chapter of 1 Peter, looking at this idea of biblical hope. So if you have your Bibles, wherever you are, turn there with me, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read it together. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you're taking notes at home, this sermon is entitled, The Speechlessness of Hope. So Peter is, is writing this letter to exiles in Southeast Asia. And so these are people who are spread across the, the land. They are, many of them are taken from their home. They're, they are persecuted. They are not practicing their freedom of religion. And, and they are being oppressed wherever they are. Their, their Christianity is, is being suppressed in their life. And they're not just allowed to live as free people worshiping the Lord. They've been dispersed. They find themselves isolated in a world that is just not receptive to their beliefs and to their culture. You may feel very similar to them. Maybe you are experiencing isolation during these days. Maybe you're feeling like you're on an island or you're for forced to see the world through a screen. And as a Christian, you may find yourself more and more being isolated until the good Lord returns. Earlier this week, CNN posted an article, and the first 
couple of sentences of the article reads as so. The battle over religious exemptions to coronavirus stay-at-home orders, which flared again over Easter weekend, captures the likelihood of steadily rising tension in coming years between an increasingly secular American society and the most religiously conservative voters, particularly white evangelical Protestants. Now, I'm not defending the churches and the pastors who have continued to act as if there's nothing going on in the world, who are meeting like normal. I don't believe there's wisdom in that. But what I am saying is that there is a clear divide in our country and certainly in different parts of the world between the Christian and the world. Peter might as well have been writing this letter directly to you and to me. We may not be exiled, but we are on the cusp of feeling persecution. And many of us around our nation are already feeling religious persecution. What does Peter tell us to do? So he writes this letter to the exiles. He recognizes that, and then he dives directly into his point, and he says that we are to be born again to a living hope. Everyone has some form of hope in something. We have some hope in humanity. Others hope in in their works or their ability to be good people. The Christian has a hope that is living. It's a very different hope than hoping in something that might fade. It's a very different hope than you would see in hoping in humanity because what does humanity do? Humanity changes and humanity makes mistakes and it messes up. But right here, Peter says that we have a living hope. It is active. Peter goes on to say that this hope is imperishable. It's undefiled and it's unfading. Our hope is not dead as we talked about last week. It is no longer in a tomb. It is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He has risen from the dead and our living hope has now given us access to the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I as believers. That is the hope that we have. We have a living God inside of us. We have a risen king, and that is the living hope that Peter talks about. This hope that he will redeem all things, that he is reaching out after people, after you, after me, all relationships. He is going to redeem them. Revelation 21.5, the first part says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. This living hope that we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ makes all things new. In an impossible situation, he makes things new. And this is what we cling to. This is our anthem. This is our fight song that we have a living hope in the person and the work of Jesus. And because of him, we can have life. Because of this hope, though, Peter goes on with his letter. And he says, the world will not fully accept you because of this hope. He says that you may be grieved by various trials. Later in the letter in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, with respect to this, this meaning that the, the way the world lives, the way they carry out their life, with respect to the way the world lives, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. I thought it was interesting that he used the word flood. So this word flood it breaks down in English for us as excess or overflowing. 
And what I find so interesting about this, this use of flood is that Peter is kind of drawing us back to this picture of Noah. That there's, there's a, a sinful people all around. They're full of debauchery. And yet God sends Noah a message. says, hey, build this ark. And when I send the floods, the ark will save you. And in just like that flood, just like that that scene, we have the same thing in Jesus as we are flooded with debauchery, as Peter calls it. We are flooded with this world around us that is caving, that is, that is doing all the things immoral and, and sinning against God. We have an ark. We have Jesus Christ, a living hope who is coming to rescue us out of this dark place. But there's something important that we got to remember. Through all of this, in Christ, we cannot look like the rest of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. What if instead of seeing a kingdom that is always looking for a fight, the world and CNN began to see the Christian kingdom as one that was generous, that was kind, and full of grace. And let me, let me tell you that there, there's some real things that we need to wrestle with in these moments. We really need to have a, an external and an internal look at our hearts because there are some realities in our world, in our walks with Jesus that we really need to discuss. We need to have open conversations with our brothers and with our sisters and really with ourselves because what the world sees may not always be what we would want them to see. Or I guess better yet, the, what the world sees may not always be what the gospel would have us live out. See, we hold rallies and marches and we take political stances for our view of marriage. One man marrying one woman. And we, we stand firm on what marriage should be. But the divorce rates in and outside of the church are the exact same. So how hard, how, how high of a view do we hold marriage? And I'm not condemning anyone that's gotten a divorce. There are several circumstances where I understand that there are necessities that have to be made. There are things that have to happen in life. But what I'm saying is as we as Christians, we stand for marriage and, and we, we will go vote and, and vote for this politician and stand for this and do that rally and, and make all these statements on social media. What's your home life look like, married people? Are you pouring that same energy into your spouse to ensure that your marriage continues to work to ensure that your spouse knows that you cherish them above every other living thing in this world. We fight against abortion, and rightfully so. But so often we turn a blind eye to the hungry and the homeless people in our world. We, we, we post scriptures like, speak for those that can't speak, and yet... When we drive down the road and we turn our blind eye to a homeless person who, by the way, doesn't really have a voice in our culture, how is it any different? Well, some might say, well, they've made their choice. They, they, they made their bed, so they're going to lay in it. Is that what Jesus would say to them? Is that, is that how Jesus treated people? Church, we need to stand 
for Christ. What about this one? We get more livid about our rights to carry guns than we do about people in our city who are extorting women and children. Oh, that's constitution. I hear you. I hear you. We should stand for our rights. We should stand for our constitutional rights. We should also stand for the women and children being extorted. There's, there's some things that we have to have some balance in, church. We, if we're going to say that we, we believe in this living hope, a risen king who changes all things and makes things new, maybe we need to do less talking and do more action. Maybe we need to take a stance as Christ followers and say, you know what? I believe in a living hope. I believe in Jesus Christ who can change all things, and I'm not going to just talk about some things. I'm going to stand. Peter is telling those people and you and I today to stand in our faith. And he ends encouraging them by saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And then he ends like this. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. I don't know what your worship at home looks like. I don't know what your quiet times look like, but I, I can recall several moments in my personal worship when I'm at home and my kids are asleep and my wife's asleep or away from me and I'm just worshiping the Lord. There are moments when I don't even have the words to express the joy that I've seen in Jesus Christ. These are the speechlessness moments of hope because I see how utterly depraved I am as a man, how broken I am. And then I see the glorious picture of Jesus. And here's what Jesus wants us to do as Christ followers. He wants us to put our hope on display. Yes, sometimes that's speaking, preaching, declaring the gospel. But other times, maybe the best demonstration of our hope is not always the use of words, but rather the use of actions. What actions can we take that give life in the middle of an impossible situation? What actions can we take to display to the world that there is a hope at the end of all of this COVID-19 mess, there is a hope at the end of your marriage that is struggling. There is a hope at the end of your addiction. There is a hope at the end of all things. Jesus Christ is a living hope. And no matter what comes, you can bet on him. He is right there in the middle of everything. He is our living hope. Our impossible situation is in the hands of a very, very controlling, sovereign, and good God. So what can we do, church? Here's what we can do. We can stand on the name and fame of Jesus and love people. So part of this series, when life gives you lemons, we're going to try to challenge our church. We're going to try to challenge each of you to really be the church. What, what, what I desire from this is that we will make a name for Jesus in this city. And so what we want to do is we want to challenge you to come up with ways to serve and to love. 
And not just posting on social media because that gets us some likes or some views, although that is effective to a certain degree. What I would challenge you to do is really ponder and pray about how we can love on people. There's an organization in Atlanta that recently started raising money so that they could get hand-washing stations for the homeless. And when I saw that, the, the thing that broke my heart the most was that I never even thought about the homeless people during the middle of this impossible situation of COVID-19. My first thoughts were my family and the church. How do I keep everyone safe and, and organizing all those things? And yet, the marginalized people, the people that have nowhere to go, the people that have no resources, the people that really have no voice, this man stood up for them. This man f figured out a way to get them hand-washing stations and provide food for them and provide them shelter during a time when most people would probably treat them a lot like lepers that we see in Scripture. That they would say, hey, back up, give us some space. And so I want to encourage you. I, I, I think you're smart. I think you are brilliant. I think God has given you a heart and a calling to minister. And so what I want to do is I want to open that up. I want to say, church, how can we come together and minister to the people in our city? How can we help those who need help? We've got some ideas as a staff, but I want you, what I want you to do is I want you to email us. Connect at piedmontchurch.net and email us with ideas because what we want to do is we want to come together and we want to take this situation that might feel rotten and we want to turn it for good, as Scripture says. God takes these things that were meant for evil and he turns them for good. And that's what we believe. Our hope is not just a whim. It is a solid, firm foundation of a living hope in Jesus Christ that he will take things that are broken and he will make them new. He will redeem them. Wherever you are, he can redeem you. Whatever situation you're in, he can redeem it. And we believe that. We're speaking that over this situation. And so I want to challenge you to partner with me and let's move forward so that we can make an impact in the name of the living hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.